Dave, I got to tell you, the score over here in Philadelphia is Squirrels 2, Geiger 0. That's Squirrels 2, Geiger 0? <laughs> what are we talking about? All right. I, I realize this is our first show of the new year, and I'm still talking about Christmas stuff. But I got to tell you, that I, I've got to get this off my chest. I've been putting lights out on my porch for Christmas every year since we bought the house. Uh, and that goes back, God, about 20 years or so, right? Okay. And, and now this year, since we did the work on the house, I've got an electrical outlet this year, so I'm not... Well, you fancy. Know, I'm not. I'm not feeding it through the window. And you're not there. doing the, the 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 welcoming into death where you're like 17 things uh, yeah. plugged into one another. Okay. And, yeah. and, and and we don't have the draft coming through the front window because I insist on you know threading it through the open window. And uh, and and I've been looking forward to this in a certain way since we bought the house. And I've got. I, I went out there on a, on the first nice day in December and went out and put up all the decorations. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Uh, and this has never happened to me before. The squirrels are eating my lights. <gasps> You're getting squirrel chew. The squirrels are chewing through the wires. They've completely uh, dismantled three strings of lights. I started out <laughs> with. Uh, I've got little posts that hold up the porch roof. I've got lights spiraling up the two sides, and then it goes across the top, across the rail, and then across the bottom. One of them is little icicle lights, and then I've got this one like spotlight that has a disco ball attached to it that throws all this multicolored light up on the front of the house. It's it's very tasteful. I like how it's your, your description of your Christmas decorations is basically like a drag show in Atlanta in 1975. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. It'll bring a tear to your eye. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I mean that. But, uh, yeah, the squirrels have chewed through three. And actually, it's just one squirrel. One fa- See, the problem you got here in the city. Oh, you're so worked up right oh, now. It's all, these, you got these, a head of steam behind you. See, what happens is people come in, like, from the suburbs and stuff and live in the city for the first time, and they and they, and they they have these unrealistic views of what you're supposed to do. They got bird feeders out there, Dave. Now, listen, in in, a, in the suburbs, I understand That's bird perfectly feeder. fine in the suburbs, yeah. In, in, the, in the city, actually, what you're doing is, overnight, uh, you're feeding rats and mice, and in the day, you're feeding squirrels. We've got this squirrel. He clocks in at about 25, 26 pounds. <laughs> and by the way, squirrels are just rats with better PR. There's no yeah. difference between a rat and a squirrel, except the fuzzy tail. So this squirrel comes in, 25 pounds worth, and starts chewing. My wife, uh, who's working from home now, sees out the front window the squirrel's back. And she can scare him away all she wants. He's going to come right back, chewed through three of my Christmas lights. At this point, all I've got is my very tasteful disco ball, one spiral, and one uh, uh, measly little uh, line that goes across the front. It's like it's like if Jack if, if it's like if if uh, if a jack o' lantern were holiday lights that would be my my display principle right now. Oh my god! Yeah, squirrel chew is uh, that's a legit phenomenon. It's, yeah. it's actually called squirrel chew, and they go to town on the on the insulation and the wrapping of electrical wires because they use it, I guess, for their nesting. Oh, is that and, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, fun fact for people that read Carl Kershaw's Abominable Charles Christopher, there is a comic about Squirrel Chew, because I was telling Carl about Squirrel Chew, or I was talking about Squirrel Chew, and he goes, oh, can I use that for a comic? And uh, so there is an Abominable Charles Christopher about Squirrel Chew, brought to you in part by Dave Kellett. There uh, unbelievable. I, but that makes me wonder, maybe I could, like, make a deal with these squirrels if I just left 
a couple of the old wires that they've already uh, ruined, they could chew that all they wanted for their insulation and leave my good ones alone. Well, maybe, but a part of the problem is they want to get close to that Brad Geiger magic, and yeah, they're well, seeing this light display that's really, it's top, it's top of form. They're like, wait a minute, is this actually plugged into a new electrical socket and not 15 oh. old Walmart electro extension cords? Then it, this is what I want as a squirrel. It's a thing of beauty. I sat out on, on the porch without putting a single light in, just admiring the electrical cord. <laughs> it was just Isn't that stupid it as was a just homeowner. Wonderful. Isn't that like when we moved into our new house, this house had uh special uh um electrical outlets just under the eave yeah. with a special uh switch on a timer. And to me as a homeowner, this is our third house now, and to me that seemed like magic. Yeah. Like whoever had, had thought to put that in, I was like that is electrical magic. It's, it's so, so and now in California, I don't know if they have this in Philadelphia. Now LEDs have gotten so cheap and omnipresent that they actually sell an eave that can be permanently installed into a house that has LEDs built into the eave. And so if you're having a birthday party, you can put it on. If you have Hanukkah, you can make it blue. If you have Christmas, you can make it green and red. If you have Halloween, you can make it orange and black, Uh, which is brilliant. You know, that's that's an honest to God, brilliant, like innovation for house uh, paid. I would pay double for that. (laughs) I would pay double. In in Philadelphia, though, you don't have eaves, right? Technically, or or I guess over your porch, you have an eave, right? There's a it's kind of built in to the porch. There's like actually a little hole at the top of the porch roof. Everything drains into that, and then down a, a you know a funnel or a spigot. What do you call the 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 vertical part? I guess those yeah. are eaves too. But yeah. Well, does it make you uh, kind of in a grandfatherly way happy that you have raised two wonderful sons and now maybe have contributed to the birth and raising of four to five oh, sweet oh, baby oh, squirrels, oh, Brad? Oh, now oh, 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 oh. that nest is made warmer is made warmer by the Christmas lights that you have provided to those baby squirrels. No, no, actually, no, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. No, I, uh, I, I, I really can't stand them. And of course, you know. It, the other thing that I'm always thinking is is they're, they're getting comfortable coming up to the house. It's just a matter of time before they start figuring out ways to get into the house, and then you got real problems. Squirrels don't come into a house. They'll get into your attic. No, they don't. Oh, well, they yes, do get into attics. Will. Yes, they do. They do yes, get into they attics. Will. They will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> I um I I had uh what are they called Dutch rats get into my last house Dutch, into the attic. Oh gosh. The, they're the big ones. They get like they and and unfortunately, right behind my house, there was avocado trees, and it's pure fat and um and and like dietary needs of a rat. Mm-hmm. So I was getting like not honest to God, three four pound rats, like just gigantic yeah. Dutch yeah. rats. And um, there was one that I had killed right by the little pull down ladder to my attic, and my niece was helping me unload stuff from my attic, and I said, "All right, Sophie." Uh, as you come up the ladder, whatever you do, don't look to your right. because And, and then, of course, because I said that in right. all the way that language works, she immediately looks to her right. And there is a rat stuck in rigor mortis, but like from a horror movie going, ha, right at her face level. So I won Uncle of the Year that you, year. You Brad. couldn't have planned that any better. <laughs> And on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about squirrel maintenance and making comics. <laughs> and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm Dave Kellett, his pal, and the creator of... Uh, I forgot what I am! <laughs>
What are you? I'm the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and the co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. And Bradley J, I'm going to jump us into our first question of the year. This comes in from, I uh, hope I'm pronouncing it right, Takaka. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Bradley? That, I, looks, you, that looks correct. I think that I think I, with with apologies if I'm messing that up. Uh, uh, they're saying hi, Brad and Dave. I really like slice of life as a genre in comics and wanted to know what do you think of it. And since it's a bit vague and varying in its definition, how would you describe slice of life? Could in theory gag a day, or as you describe it, choke a joke, sometimes be slice of life too. Thanks for the great show. Gives me something to look forward to in these trying times. Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. And yeah. Bradley J, the question to you is slice of like comics. Uh, what do you think of them? And then I guess the secondary or primarily, uh, how would you describe or define slice of life comics? Uh, pass. <laughs> now, here's, All right, here's, that's a pass for Brad. This is our first show of the new year. Couldn't you yeah. give me a question where I can be upbeat and optimistic and happy, Brad? Oh, <laughs> no. Are we about to get curmudgeonly, Brad? <laughs> I'm telling you, there's... You uh, kids and your slice of life comics, get off my lawn. I despise the term slice of life, and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to make an argument that... You shouldn't use the term slice of life. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and I'm going to make the argument that you shouldn't like slice of life. Well, no, I, terrible. Well, <laughs> I'm going to make the argument that you already don't like slice of life. You just never lined it up. But here's here's the problem with slice of life comics. Uh, slice of life automatically tells the audience that this will be boring because yeah. life on its own, unvarnished, is boring. Yes. That's why we have artists and writers and people who are creative to break up the boring. Because yeah. we know, and listen, if my life was that interesting, I wouldn't buy a TV, I'd buy a mirror, right? Slice of life immediately tells your audience that it's going to be boring because if it wasn't, you'd call it humor or sci-fi or romantic comedy or adventure. You'd have any number of words. It could be still based on things that happened in your daily life. Right. But uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is not a slice of life uh, uh, series. It's a comedy. Yeah. He may take, Larry David may take things out of his life and extrapolate it, but it's not a slice of his life. I guarantee you a slice of Larry David's life is unwatchable. Yeah, but yeah. curb your enthusiasm is unmissable. That's the difference between a comedy and a slice of life. Uh, you're reality- saying you're saying that the that true slice of life is almost sans artifice. But when you want to make something interesting, you add the artifice layer on top of it. You are you add the art the art making on top of slice of life. That's that's absolutely right. Uh, yeah. Here's here's what I'm saying. Uh, reality TV, even reality TV has writers because they couldn't just set cameras yeah, that's up. That's true, it does. Right? Uh, documentary films have editors because they couldn't just show you the documentary footage. Somebody has to edit that and narrate it and make it interesting yeah. so that you'll watch it. The problem with Slice of Life is that you are already indicating yourself. You're trying to pull, by using that term, you're trying to pull the bar down. You're saying, don't expect too much out of this. It's only it's a slice, slice of, of life. life. Yeah, yeah. It's if just this was good, it would be a comedy. If this was good, it would be a drama. It's not. It's a slice of life. <laughs> if it was good, it would be. A, that's right, keep going. my problem with using that term is that, and, and, and even if that's not what you mean, 
Uh, I think in a lot of cases, that's what's that's what's coming across, because in no way does anyone think, oh, slice of life, this is going to be captivating. Right. No one ever says that about slice right. of life. They already go in with reduced expectations. And it's really hard to uh, uh, to be spectacular when somebody already comes in when you're telling them, hey, listen, don't have a lot of expectations. You know what I often think of when I, oh, first of all, what I often think of when I think of slice of life, and unfortunately I have a similar attitude, is I often think of boredom. Yeah. Um, usually when I think of a slice of life comic, it's like, I'm going to express in illustrated form on we. Mm-hmm. Like this is, look at, here I am putting on socks. Here I am going out to the park. I'm sprinkling some bird seed. Now I'm sitting on the bench looking abjectly into the sky. You know what I mean? That always feels what's ab- yeah. what slice of life comics are. It's like, I'm by myself. I'm mm-hmm. sitting quietly. Here I am. And so what I tend to feel uh, the, 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 um, the result is, is that it's usually... Uh, when I'm reading a slice of life comic, it's usually a very good illustrator that should have been paired with a good writer is what I usually feel like. Yeah. It's like, okay, you have the chops, you know how to communicate a moment of, of human existence very clearly in, Mm -hmm. in drawing form. But now let's put a little oomph behind that and pair you up with a good writer. That's what I usually feel about slice of life. Um, I, there's always there's a there's a subset of like, um, Franco Belgian comics and comics out of, they always seem to be out of. Um, uh, trendier cities in the U.S., uh, either New York or Toronto, uh, if it's Canada, it's Toronto or yeah. Seattle or San Francisco, where it's the single artist and they're, they're having trouble going through their day. And it yeah. feels like Ziggy without words, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm by myself again and I have my socks and here I am with my drawers and oh, look at me. It's, it's Ziggy with skinnier characters. <laughs> It's Ziggy with a latte. Uh, (laughs) Ziggy in skinny jeans. (laughs) Ziggy with pants on. Um, (laughs) Now, well, let's try it for a split second. Let's try to take the alternate view here because you and I are coming (laughs) off as old men on on a porch. Is there a slice of life that we can think of? We're like, ah, they did it well. That was that was good stuff. No, because as soon as you start, I'm sorry. You were I'm so sorry. Quick. You were so quick. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because okay. as soon as it starts being good, it stops being slice of life and right. starts being whatever it's supposed to be. It Comedy, starts either sci-fi. being a romance or a yes. drama or yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, here's the deal. Let's. Let, I, I, I am gonna play. I'm gonna play along with you now. Uh, but I'm gonna go another direction. Should we make our question asker feel bad because they like? slice of life comics and, and, you know, said, I really like, no, no, absolutely not. If that's, if that's what grooves you, then you do that thing. And, and and don't never let me tell you differently as an artist, however, as a cartoonist, as a comics creator, however, I the reason that you're listening to this podcast, I want you to be very careful about using slice of life comics as branding, because I think you can do better by getting more specific. And also I think just mentally, once you stop thinking about yourself as a slice of life comics artist and start uh, pushing beyond that, you're going to raise the bar for yourself as a creator. And you're going to have to hit that new mark. And I think there's nothing better that could happen is to raise the bar for yourself when you're creating this to go beyond slice of life and to get to whatever that next step is. Yeah. I, you know, they, they always say that, uh, that phrase of a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Mm-hmm. I feel like a slice of a slice of life comic is the first step yep. when really what you want to be drawing is that thousand step yep. where the, the thing, the thing actually happens. 
Um, so like if if you're doing a slice of like comic, it's it's kind of the um, the precursor chapter before the 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 protagonist goes out and falls in love or goes on an adventure or gets fired or gets divorced or or when the story actually starts it's like here now it's you know what it is brad it's it's the it's the cartooning equivalent of that story we were all assigned in sixth grade of describe how you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich oh yeah you know what i mean it's like sure you can do it as an artistic exercise but i don't know that it gets you much other than here's what slice of life usually communicates to me is Hey gang, here's a universal universality to life that everything everyone experiences boredom, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. here's a slice of life of my boring life, right? And we all have that, right? It's like, yeah, we do all have that, but art is meant to be the escape from that or right. or the ed, ed, the educational edifying thing that takes you away from slice of life. I don't know. So for me, it, it's perfectly fine and valid that uh, that that it it exists and it's, and people enjoy it. It's not it's not to my taste. It does, I don't yeah. I don't particularly get much out of it. I think um, you can push yourself further. To me, what slice of life is is if you enjoy good illustration and you revel just in illustration, mm-hmm. then you want to see the sequentiality of comics applied just to illustration, and that's perfectly fine for you. That's yeah. enough. Uh, but for a lot of people, myself included, you want more than just illustration for illustration's sake which is kind of what slice of life is a little bit mm-hmm. um but but uh, that being said brad and i are willing to hear maybe in the discord server over at patreon.com slash comic lab you can tell us hey brad and dave you completely missed this fantastic piece of oh. slice of life comics oh, that don't changed tell the course that <laughs> what's that <laughs> don't tell them because to... that's the that's what we're gonna get and it's gonna drive me crazy because ev- no I, because i'll tell you why i don't i don't mind doing that okay go ahead no one's going to point to something they're gonna say hey what about chris ware and i'm gonna be like yeah but no one really enjoys reading chris <laughs> <laughs> well or they're gonna point to a really for example a really funny uh, uh comic that's based on somebody's uh life as a yeah but uh, then that's staff. a comedy what i'm saying is that's, no one's that's, gonna... that was gonna be my point is like what I'm every gonna say time... is there's no pure slice of life where people right. go this one right. changed my life this one was edifying or this one was morally uh, uplifting or this one most of all what you're gonna get when it's a pure slice of life comic is oh look that artist feels bored sometimes too yeah. or oh look they feel alone sometimes too because that's always what it is it's either boredom or solitary uh the sense of solitary and aloneness is what quote-unquote slice of life tends to be you know yeah yeah because if it's anything else, there's a story there. Right. If it's if it's either an, another character, it becomes a, a story of, of human interaction. And that's then there's my, more there. That's my point. It's, as soon as it starts becoming good, it stops becoming slice of life. <laughs> yeah, we are the grumpiest old men I'm with sorry, this. I'm sorry, it's the... I'm, as soon as there's a point to it, it stops becoming <laughs> slice of life. <laughs> so, I mean, you could, we couldn't have chosen a worse one. Yeah, go to the next question. Maybe I'll have... A, maybe I'll have something uh, uh, delightful and optimistic to say about our next question. Here's Slice of Life. Slice of Life is... No, I'm going to say one more thing. Slice of Life is... Oh, look! Odysseus is raking up hay before he goes on his adventure. There's Odysseus, like, raking up hay in his backyard. We don't need to talk about his grand adventure. No one needs to read the Odyssey. Let's just yeah. focus on Odysseus raking up hay. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move, <laughs> let's move oh, on. Man. Uh, Brad, so these next two questions are, uh, are uh, similar, so I'm going to combine yeah. them into one big question for you, but I'm going to read them 
uh, both to you right now, okay? So uh, this one comes in from 35 Min, and it says, Hey, guys, how come I rarely see either of you have fun and get creative with the comic medium using panels? Like, mm-hmm. make the panel part of the art sort of thing. Like a doorway or a window frame or a porthole or a lens or something. Yeah. You guys seem to stick to the standard square rectangular box most of the time. Is there a reason for that? Or is it just no need for that to happen? And then there's a second question, Brad. Um, you had also said that we were getting a question in, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was about uh, diagonal gutters and why we don't use or see right. or implement diagonal gutters more into our art. We The same kind of angle. We both tend to use the standard square or rectangular um, uh, panel design. So, Brad, I think the, the general thrust of both questions were um, why not more creative in our own uh, panel design? Uh, because nobody in the history of comics has ever said, I want to read that comic because it's got interesting panel layouts. In it, right? Nobody in the history of comics has ever said, you've got to read this thing. It's, it, it's, got, it's got circular panels and triangular panels and, and a couple of long horizontal panels. It's the best panel layout I've ever seen. In a, nobody's ever said that. You know what they're more interested in? What's happening inside the panels. And that's where I choose to put my creativity inside the panels. <laughs> the page design, the, the, the positions of the panels on the page... Mm-hmm. Uh, is utilitarian. It, it It's what carries the story the best. Uh, right. So many times you see, uh, a, a, a lot of times, and in a lot of manga and in a lot of superhero comics, you see a, a bunch of these trapezoidal panels, right, where they've, they've got these, you know, again, going back to the diagonal gutters, they've mm-hmm. got these long, you know, uh, 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 acute angles on the inside trapezoids, and they're very, it's a very... Uh, difficult space to illustrate inside, and uh, it creates sometimes very difficult reading experiences as you're trying to navigate through all these weird shapes uh, uh, on the page. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is nobody cares. Nobody cares if I take a, a, a ship and I have one of the portals actually be a panel in the comic. Nobody cared about that, except mm-hmm. for those three guys who were sequential art majors at SCAD who got really excited about that. Everybody else, <laughs> okay, keep going. Everybody else shrugged and said, and or had a hard time understanding what was going on, and was like, nah, "Do I really want to be reading this?" Here's my point. There's lots of places to put your creativity. You should be absolutely pushing yourself creatively to the nth degree, and you should be putting that in your writing and in your illustration. Uh, Trying to prove how creative you can get on your page design in terms of the panels themselves, to me, is a waste of time because not only does nobody care, in a lot of cases, and I'll make this uh, next point as soon as I let you actually get a word in edgewise, uh, but it actually makes it harder to read the page. What do you think? Um, I'm glad that you and I are starting off this year as the two most curmudgeonly cartoonists that yes. have ever existed. Because We're the worst. In large stripes, mm-hmm. I super agree with Brad. Yeah. That to me, Brad, have you ever gone through like the National Gallery in Washington or the Portrait Gallery in London and... You'll you'll see painting after painting that's beautiful, gorgeous painting, right? Yeah. And then you'll come across a so-so painting, and you find that your eye is noticing this gigantic-ass 
10-inch gold <laughs> uh, frame that some that some curator has put on a so-so painting, yeah. but you're like, dang, that frame, look the at that thing, that thing, someone really built the hell out of that frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and when that happens, that's failure. Yeah. The frame is not meant to be the focal point. The frame is meant to to clear the eye from the surrounding space yeah. and say, this is the special thing to look at, right? Yeah. It's meant to focus your brain on the painting. So when your eye goes, man, the hell with the painting, but look at this frame. Look at the frame then, job Then that's that. a process that failed. You know, yeah. that didn't work. Yeah. Then you're looking at art for art's sake, which is the, just the frame itself, you know, and not looking at the the message, the means, the, the, the portrayal of the painting. Um, and what I'm getting at there is that... Uh, 99.9% .9 of the time with comics, you want the panel to disappear from the front of mind awareness of the reader. You want them yeah. to be skipping from panel to panel without kind of thinking that there is a panel there. You know what I mean? Right. It, it is the artifice that you hope, much like a word balloon, that hope you hope that it disappears from the reader's uh, awareness, right? Yep. Now— that being said, there are artists that we can all agree are famous for their paneling and their layout. George Harriman with Crazy Cat is, those are objects of art. Those mm -hmm. full pages that have been designed around a circular display or a triangular display or a falling uh, horizontal display or whatever, you know, whatever George was was doing that week. Yeah. Um, those are inarguably beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and as much as I was joking around about Chris Ware before, his layouts are beautiful. Oh, yeah. They are, uh, But again, it's one of those things where the layout tends to take more emphasis than the message, which I think is a failure when that happens. Um, where I think it's been done well, it's because it wasn't used for 99% of the comic, but then the mm -hmm. panel is really well and artfully uh, changed up so that you become aware of a psychological break of the character because the panels are falling apart, or yeah. you become aware that their world is falling apart because their panels are literally falling off the page, that kind of thing. Yes. Where I've seen interesting paneling done, it's in support of the story, not to distract from the story. Right, right Brad? Yeah, and I'll tell you, so all of that stuff you said is true, uh, and I'm going to take it one more step. And that is that it's actually dangerous to get into this area in today's publishing landscape. And that is because so much of what we as cartoonists are trying to uh, get uh, get our work out there involves social media and smaller screens. OK, yeah. now uh, I do, by the way, uh, this this question asker said that uh, uh, that all my panels are uh, rectangular. I, I, I entreat you. Uh, I, I encourage you to look at the actual comic that I do, Evil Ink, because mm -hmm. you'll see circular panels on every third comic. I know you, third love a, you love a circular panel. Uh, I, I actually use them for, for a reason, but you got to also be careful how you use them. Here's where, here's where I'm uh, getting to in this, and that is you can do a certain amount of, of interesting things with a uh, compositional reason for doing them on the page, but as you're building that page, I feel very strongly that you have to be preparing that page so that it can be tore down yeah. into panel by panel by panel uh, uh, chunks that can be put into a vertical scroll because that's how more and more. And I'm going to argue if it's not the majority of comics readers, it soon will be the majority of comics readers who are reading this on a vertical scroll on their phone. Yeah. Uh, you should still be preparing for the printed page because that's where the money is. But you should be preparing for the vertical scroll because that's where the readers are. And you can't yeah. get to the money without getting to the readers. So I, I, I put a, I'll have two 
rectangular panels and float a circular panel in between them. But if you'll notice, uh, uh, in the negative space around that circular panel is all stuff that can be trimmed right out of those uh, rectangles without hurting the rectangles. Because the end result is that I want to be able to clip every one of those panels, put them into a vertical scroll, whether it's on Patreon or whether it's on Webtoons or whether it's on my own site that now is fully responsive to mobile users because uh, I I need them to read that in a vertical scroll. And if you're doing diagonal gutters and trapezoidal panels and all that kind of stuff, you're shooting yourself in the foot because those are virtually impossible to convert to a vertical scroll. Yeah. One person that I think does do interesting paneling, uh, to actually two people that I can think of that do interesting paneling, the benefit of their story mm-hmm. because they do it sparingly. And when they do incorporate it, it's to great purpose. Yeah. Um, a Meredith Grand with octopus pie had a couple pages and it's a shame that I can't link to you on a podcast, but had a couple key pages where the paneling was extraordinary and aided the flow and the theme of the, and the psychological state of the story at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so because it was used sparingly yeah. and in very key moments, uh, then it becomes a tool in a toolbox, right? For a yes. cartoonist. That then, yes. then that helps you convey the mood of the, the story at that moment. And another cartoonist that does that very well because she uses it sparingly, and when she does, it's to great effect, is Dylan McConus. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also uh, it, it uses it um, in, in a way that, that, that helps contribute to the psychological state of the story, the thematic state of the story, all that sort of thing. Um, but again, for the most part... It's like walking into a house and saying, oh, Brad, to hell with the color and the flooring and the window dressing. Tell me about the framing of this house. I right. want to hear more about how the how were these two by fours constructed? Yeah. This, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's it's putting the emphasis on the wrong thing with comics. If you're like, oh, these boxes are you're I don't care about this story, but I love these boxes. These yeah. are great boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Take a look at that drywall. No, <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> I do have more of an appreciation for than I used to. But I love, by the way, that on a show where we do sound curmudgeonly, you're also getting a bit of a cold. So yeah. it, you do literally sound like, oh, these comics, these comics with a goddamn paneling. <laughs> I don't want you yeah. off my lawn, you kids. All I need is a, is a cheek full of tobacco, and I would be every uh, every old man that I grew up with. I will say this, though. The younger Dave Kellett, uh, if you look back through the 4,000 Sheldons in the— Oh, God, I can't believe there's that many in the archives. If you look back through the 4,000 Sheldons, you'll see me occasionally experiment with a oh. circle or a triangle or a parallelogram or something fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, 99% of the time, you'll be like, why was he—this didn't contribute to this comic strip at all. Why, why Or this comic page, or yeah. why did he do this? And part of it was I was just—I was experimenting, right? The younger yeah. me was trying. Yeah. And older me will occasionally— Occasionally, 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 not even occasionally, rarely put in something unique. But when I do, it's because I'm trying to contribute to the story mm-hmm. with the paneling, with the word balloons, with the lettering, with all of the ancillary stuff that's fourth tier read. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help that contribute to the story. But for the most part, when I used it as a younger cartoonist, it was unnecessary. It didn't work. Didn't contribute yep. to the story. If anything, it was distracting from the story. Yep. Because you're like, why is this panel suddenly a circle? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and and what happened for me is I did that too. In fact, in it, like that was the first thing I did when I did. Well, not the first thing I did when I started After Dark, but one of the first things that I did was because After Dark was a, a full page uh, thing, and, and it was the first time I had been doing full page stuff. Even Evil Ink was in half pages, but After Dark 
started becoming these full pages. And I let myself loose on that, doing mm-hmm. uh, exactly what I'm advocating against. And I'll tell you why I advocate against it, because then when I went back and tried to put those into ebooks, when I build an ebook these days, it's not just a PDF of the book. That's one version. I build a second version called a smartphone edition that basically puts all of those vertical scroll panels into one big document that can be read on your uh, on your phone. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I I don't know that anybody else is doing this. I think I think I may be alone uh, in that practice. Uh, but I can't tell you how much how strongly I believe in doing that as we as we move forward. I think pretty soon everybody's going to be doing it. And I will put one last capstone on this. If if you are a cartoonist for whom the art and the artifice of comic making is something where the panels you you are intrigued by that and you do like a, you lean more towards an illustrator than a writer and, and Brad and I lean more towards writers than being illustrators. Mm-hmm. There are people for whom the illustration of a comic and the creation of a comic as an as an uh, object of art is really important to them. And if you are one of those people and you do want to do interesting and weird panels, I will say as a Photoshop user, mm-hmm. what you want to be using is Clip Studio Paint, not Photoshop, because <laughs> Clip Studio Paint can really enable some really interesting paneling in a mm-hmm. way that Photoshop cannot. Yeah. So I'm saying this as a Photoshop user, the way you want to go is Clip Studio Paint, not what I use. Yeah. And and the upshot of the ebook uh, uh, conversation was just that when I, after having done those wild page designs mm-hmm. and tried to cut them up and, and put them into a vertical scroll, I made so many headaches for myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That it was just it, it, later on, it was like I just started making up a, a bunch of rules for myself about how these pages could be put together so that I could do what I needed to do in terms of composition and still have a vertical scroll at the end. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Okay, Brad, well, now we have to turn to the Department of Corrections. This is exciting. We've got a, you know, Comic Lab is a fact-based show, Brad, so when one of us gets something wrong, we have to correct those facts, and I got two facts wrong in recent shows, and I, without any prompting, feel like I need to correct them. One of them, and this is the most important fact I need to correct, is that the Beach Boys, when they self-plagiarize with Little St. Nick, the song was not 405 that they were self-plagiarizing, Brad. It was Little Deuce Coop, and I want to issue a big, a big apology for that one. You know what? The funny thing is, is as you were saying that, I was singing the song in my head, and I'm like, man, I don't remember how they pulled that off. <laughs> 
I will admit, though, that game has to recognize game here. Yeah. And kudos to the Beach Boys for going for that cash grab. They're like, you know what was a freaking hit? Little Deuce Coop. You yeah. know what we can make more money on on a B-side? Little, Little St. Nick. <laughs> That'll take five minutes to put that down as a track. Let's do it. Come on, fellas. Hey, you guys don't want a second house? I want a second house. Let's record Little St. Nick. This is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. And everybody needs a Christmas album. I don't, I, I'd like to know if there's any entertainer who hasn't done a holiday-themed album. Like, once you get to a certain level, you've got to put one out. Yeah, it's kind of a. I mean, it's just a cash. It's a. It's a wonderful cash flow. Those those Christmas albums. They, and, and they're all standards. They're and all if, songs if that you, you know, get a hit, you are set for the next forty years. You know, Mariah Carey never needs to work again. Just I was because, gonna say we're looking at you, yeah. Mariah. All right, and then the second line item from the Department of Corrections. This one's close to my heart, and I'm mad that I got this wrong because the point was that it was a bad name, and I guess it was so bad that I forgot how to pronounce it. It was not Grogu, Brad. It was Grogu. Oh, Rogu was the name of young baby, uh, the child uh, that is Baby Yoda. I thought Grogu was that new organic spaghetti sauce. Well, yeah. so this this correction does give us one more chance to talk about why that's a bad name. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why it's a bad name. It's First of all, it's uncomfortable mouthfeel. And yeah. second of all, say it out loud to yourself right now at home. You have to reset your jaw to make the second syllable. So you yeah. go grow Ro-goo. and your mouth is pushing forward yeah. and you have to reset it back to go goo, grow goo. You know, like anyway, it suffers from having weird mouthfeel because of that resetting that your jaw has to go through. And it's, yeah. uh, it's just unfortunate. So that was that was the main thing with the Department of Corrections that I wanted to that I wanted to chime in on, Brad. Well, listen, Dave, we we were very we took a very negative, pessimistic stance on the first two topics of 2021 you've got to give me a topic that i can be joyful and happy about well i do i can move a question up that we had on our list it, it is funny though that 2020 definitely had an effect on us because we come into 2021 <laughs> just full of piss and vinegar like hey guys what do you think about charlie brown charlie brown can go to hell that's what charlie brown can do <laughs> We just are loaded for bear from the very beginning. Just, oh my goodness. All right, well, Brad, here is a topic that will be near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Um, this comes in from uh, listener Paula at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Paula says, uh, hello, Brad and Dave. For a long time now, I wanted to do a not suitable for work comic, but something yes! is always holding. Finally, <laughs> finally, something I can be happy about. <laughs> <Sex>. <laughs> oh, we've made, we've made grandpa happy. All right, yes, good job. <laughs> okay, yeah, serve All it right. up. I can talk about this. Here we go, Brad. So Paula writes, for a long time now, I wanted to do a not suitable for work comic, but something yeah. is always holding me back parenthetically, like society's view of my art and so on. Since Brad has overcome this and published a Not Suitable for Work comic, I wanted to ask, how did you convince yourself to do After Dark anyway? Like, what was your journey from then to this day? Do you still struggle sometimes with this topic? Thanks for the great podcast. I love listening to it every morning. Uh, Thank you, Paula. That was really nice of them for the kind words. I appreciate that. Uh, So, Bradley... Not suitable for work. The journey to not suitable for work if someone who has never done it before and uh, who is feeling all the feelings that you could have on yeah. the way to that. How did you do you want to do your oh, personal journey first? I and- love I love that. I'm not joking around when I say I love this topic because I actually I think it's kind of an important topic without being uh, silly about it. But uh, uh, so it, what I want you to do is go back to listen to an episode we did, I think, in our very first year 
uh, of doing Comic Lab. It was episode number 31. Uh, and we and I talked about this in a lot more detail than I'm going to give it today, uh, just because I don't want to go over you know some old ground. Right. But uh, but it's 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 super important uh, to kind of understand uh, where my head was at and and where your head is probably at and and give you some heads up on some things that you'll probably be dealing with. But uh, so uh, having said that, here's one thing you've got to uh, you've got to do for yourself before you decide to take this uh, take this road, and that is you've got to decide how you feel about presenting sexual situations and how you feel about drawing nudity and drawing you know intimate uh, behavior and how you feel about bringing that into your storytelling. Uh, for me. It, it became very. It became like a philosophical discussion I had to have my with myself. Uh, where you know, J- Dave and I joke about being raised Catholic all the time. The idea of doing this for somebody who was raised in a very small provincial setting in Michigan uh, as a Catholic. It, oh my I, God! You saying provincial made me realize you're Bell. Yeah, <laughs> yes. What do you think I was the beast? <laughs> <laughs> Dave, in this in this duo, I am beauty. <laughs> That's amazing. Brad wakes up in the morning uh, in Bad Axe, Michigan. Go there goes the baker with it. Da, 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 da. I know, and what a snotty song when it comes right down to it. <laughs> I just like the idea of you twirling around yeah. Bad Axe, Michigan yeah. in snow boots. Yeah, yeah, except it's not the library I'm going to; it's the dirty bookstore. <laughs> No, but uh, so I had to have a conversation with myself. How do I feel about this? And I philosophically, I had to kind of go down the the chain of of well, sex is normal, sex is natural. Therefore, stories about sex should not be something that is uh, embarrassing. Or, uh, or, or it's something that we should, uh, you know, hide away. Certainly, uh, you know, keep it uh, from people that it's not age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of sharing these stories with people who are uh, have reached an age of maturity, uh, I, I this is something that I had to decide: is this okay? And you may, by the way, you may come uh, to a different philosophical conclusion for you, and uh, uh, you're not going to, you, you cannot. Tell me that my philosophy is wrong, and I would never try to tell you to think differently. But you've got to decide how you feel about this. The next thing I had to do is is think about, you know, uh, how how is this going to be viewed in my community, by my family, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and also uh, keeping in mind that I do certain things like uh, teaching college and so forth, and I do a lot of that kind of outreach. Uh, philosophically, again. I didn't feel comfortable using a pen name because I had just gotten done talking to myself, uh, saying that this is perfectly natural and normal. So why do I need a pen name? Right. Right. Once you go down that road, then you're starting to. And and by the way, I'm not casting aspersions on people who make that decision. But for me, it didn't fit the philosophy uh, that that I had spent time uh, thinking about. So I I didn't want to use a pen name for me. Uh, but here's the thing that was really interesting. So the fir- one of the first times I spoke in front of a, a group of college uh, students, uh, a friend of mine, Christian Patchell, had call- called me in to talk in front of his uh, uh, sequential art uh, class. And uh, I said, OK. And, and Christian's a guy I've known from the Philadelphia comic scene for years. 
And I said, I, I just to let you know, you know, I'm doing, it was just when I was starting, I said, I'm, I'm doing this not safe for work stuff. Uh, the first thing you need to know is that this is going on because I don't want to be standing in class and have some kid Google me on their phone and create uh, a situation that you may not be prepared for. <laughs> he laughed. I mean, he says, uh, people that age don't Google anymore. They don't Google people. Like, you know how you and I used to do an ego surf on Google to see if anybody was talking. We'd put our own name into Google to see sure. if it was showing up. Sure. Uh, he goes, people this age do not do that. They will not Google you. They, it'll be the last thing on their minds. Uh, and, and the ones that do, the other thing you got to realize for people, you, uh, my age and your age, Dave, this was something that we grew up with, a with a whole lot more, uh, uh gatekeepers around adult content, right? right? There was Playboy magazine. There was, you know, uh, movies in a certain theater on the, on the other side of town. There was that sort of, you know, there was the, the, the Playboy channel on cable, uh, but it was there was a lot of gatekeepers. Uh, the the generations coming up, ha, they they can all find it on their phones and very easily, yeah. right? It, yeah. it, in other words, there's not as much of a, uh, a, a, a a separation there. There's not as much of a oh that must be one of those people uh, because they're exposed a lot more to uh, a greater variety of uh, of content and storytelling, yeah, if, yeah. if you will. So what I'm finding personally is that younger people have a lot less problems with it because it's something that's a little bit more accessible. Whereas for you and me, it was that Playboy magazine that was out in the woods that we ran across, right? Can I, can I make a comparison? Yeah. So I grew up in a fairly small, quiet uh, town in Southern California, probably not yeah. unlike you with Bad X, Michigan. And when I went to college in Notre Dame, I got there and any kid that had grown up in downtown New York, downtown Philly, downtown Chicago, uh, the parallel that I'm going to make here is yeah. cussing. Yeah. Those kids, you could not <laughs> shock them at all because oh they had grew God. up in downtown New York, right? Yeah. But where they excelled was the creativity of language. Does that make mm -hmm, sense? Mm -hmm. Because cussing was passe to them. It's like, yeah, okay, I could say the, I could say a cuss word, that, but that's not going to get me anywhere. Whereas yeah. a kid from the small town would be like, oh, 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 they said damn, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I was that kid, by the way. But for them, for <laughs> I found the kids that grew up in New York or Philly or Chicago or, or you know, a, 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 a heavy downtown area where you interacted with everybody as a 12-year-old, you know, intensely uh, uh, closely, you know, versus is a suburb type of life is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, their ability to use language, it's it started to transcend. And so you it became more about like the magic and the beauty of an insult that was creative yeah. rather than just I'm gonna throw a cuss word at you, which is right. what the small town kids did. Right. And so I think um part of part of the parallel here is it's where you are on your own journey in terms of the comfort and yeah. the and the the because you had started to say, and I lost my my thread as to what <laughs> where I was building off of, but what were you, what were you saying just before I jumped in with my city, my city? <laughs> Kid talk. <laughs> I was saying that that in in the past and in, in the world you and I grew up. Oh, with, that's what it was. Gatekeepers. Yes, yeah. I'm so sorry. I forgot what the thread was. Good job, Dave. Dave <laughs> Kellett, conversationalist. Uh, no, that was my thread. Was that because yeah. for the city kids, the gatekeepers weren't there because you would be walking down the street and you'd hear a construction worker going, "What the fuck is this with the steel beam?" Moving? You know, right. as they're yelling at each other with the crane. A, a kid in a small town doesn't hear that. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is, kids now with the internet. 
it's more akin to having grown up in the cities because you just yep. hear more, you see more, yes. you, yeah. you, you see a broader spectrum of what there's no gatekeepers on what the varieties of life is, uh, I guess is one way of saying it. You <laughs> and, know? and I'm not even talking about straight out, uh, 18 and over content. Now, it, it, all you got to do is look at TikTok for a few uh, minutes and see that there's a lot of thirst trap content <laughs> on, on, on TikTok. Uh, so, it, so, so all of that plays. That's into all I it. post by the way on TikTok. Yeah. It's just, well, that's just, the only reason I follow you. Yeah, it's just, but uh, uh, so <laughs> that's the only reason I follow <laughs> that, you. That gave me a great mental image. But uh, just, so, yeah. so now there's a couple other points that I do want to make. Number one, obviously, your family. Uh, this is something that's got not only got to be right for you, but it's got to be right for your family. Right for my family, it meant that we had we were it, we were always very open and uh, frank in sex talk with our with our kids in terms of you know uh, giving them information that they need, uh, getting them the newest book by Erica Moen uh, was a big part right. of that drawn right. together, which is on our bookshelf. Uh, but we were all very uh, open and honest about that. So that just gave us another talking point uh, to to talk about some of these subjects. As a matter of fact, the funny that is just that I'm not making this up a week ago. I was uh, talk sharing with the kids. You know, they I came back from the studio. They said, how was your day? And I said, oh, all day I worked on this one page, but it took me hours to get the writing right. And I was just having a tough part of it. And Max goes, uh, well, I, I'd love to know what was the story. I said, well, it was an after dark story. <laughs> Max goes, I don't want to hear anything more. Alex <laughs> sitting next to him says, now I want to hear the story. <laughs> I said, both of those answers are perfectly appropriate. That's right. That's right. But, uh, and, and the funny thing is like, in terms of like people in our community, almost nobody has said anything to me directly, mm -hmm. but Carolyn will tell me later. Like, <laughs> oh, come Mrs. Terwilliger said some things, yeah. They'll come up to her and say, how do you feel about this? And Carolyn goes, I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. They're expecting her to be, well, what a what a, what a a shame on our family. Oh, tutting kind of, yeah. Yeah, they're expecting the drama. And they're right. like, well, to get her off to the side, how do you feel about this? Right. And she's like, I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. Uh, the last point I want to make is that you've also got to think about uh, sex and storytelling in, in a broader scope. And by this, I mean particularly issues of consent, okay, mm -hmm. uh, and, and other issues indeed. But once you put a, a sexual spin on things, uh, certain things cannot, uh, certain things have a, a whole different meaning. I'll, I'll tell you a great example. One of the first things that I did when I, uh, started after dark. I love the idea of taking all these superhero tropes and putting them into that kind of uh, retelling, right? right Put right. them into a sexual situation. And uh, one of the first ones I did was the one that we've seen on superhero stories from the time that we were five years old, watching super friends, eating uh, cereal in front of the Saturday morning TV, the mind control glasses, right? I put these glasses on and I can control your mind. Uh, I started doing that, and uh, I started the story. And one of my Patreon backers, oh yeah, backers, you can't, you can't, yeah, go one ahead, of my yeah. Patreon backers just sent me a little note, very, very nice, and I, I'm thankful for this to this day. Said, I just got a question: if she's under mind control, can she consent? And I'm like, oh, being being the super privileged white guy that I am, uh -huh. never crossed my mind, right? Right, right. All of a sudden, I'm like, ooh, yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and I it was the only story that I've ever changed 
that I had already started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, com- I came up with a completely different, it was like that story took a, a left turn because all of a sudden I, and, and to be completely honest, I was not used to thinking in those terms, but now you've got, it's not just, Right, you know, the, the tropes, all the tropes of superpowers fighting one another. Uh, yeah, you have to be really just, careful with that. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not just naked people anymore. Now yeah. it's, it, there's a whole other meaning to that. And so, side that, note, uh, side, very much related side note. Everyone should look up the the historical use of Wonder Woman's lasso of truth oh, <clears throat> in the original Wonder Woman's uh, uh, context. Very awkward when you look back on it. Uh, yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, d- you, that that guy's story is that amazing. that whole story is amazing. But he was cle- he was clearly into bondage. S&M. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, you know that's that's fine. That was his thing. But man, it came through. And of course, as you know, uh, also the creator of the lie detector. What? <laughs> the man what? Who, I didn't know the that. The man who created Wonder Woman and her lasso of truth also created the equipment that would later be known as a lie detector test. What? Wow, I did not know that. I'm going to go read about that after this. That's amazing. Well, so I would say, too, I would broaden this, Brad, to say that um, uh, for someone someone considering doing a not-suitable-for-work comic, Mm -hmm. it is not a huge jump to say it's not unlike someone considering doing a political comic or doing a religious comic or or doing uh, anything where uh, the topics get uh, trigger people for all different ways in mm-hmm. society and in families. Um, and so uh, a lot of it is just the same consideration is balancing out your relationships in your life, balancing out what's important to you, what yep. your truths are in terms of what you want to create in your art. Um, and then uh, uh, finding the best path forward for you in a safe way, in a way where you are psychologically safe and physically yeah. safe and, and all that sort of stuff. I think, don't you think Brad? Yeah, it's got to be right for you. It's, it, it can't be something that you do just because, you know, you think, well, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a great thing. Uh, uh, although I'm, it, with all creative pursuits, that's for, certainly one of the first things that comes to mind. But uh, but it's got to be it's got to be the right fit. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't let yourself be dissuaded for it because you think that people will think less of you or they'll think that you're a dirty person or something like that. Uh, clearly there's going to be people like that, but, uh, listen, uh, there's people like that, no matter what you do, uh, right. Right. You, at the end of the day, yeah. No, at the end of the day, I think so, less of Brad, no matter what he does. So that's, yeah. <laughs> believe me, believe me, we see that week after week. I'm just no, kidding. I'm, I'm just teasing. kidding. Uh, but no, I, I think it's gotta be the right fit for you. But I, 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 again, I, I love seeing, and here's what's happening, Dave. You're seeing this happen more and more, you're seeing a, a little bit of an explosion in uh, in not safe for work comics, uh, even from people who do work for Marvel and DC have their own. Uh, I'm thinking Diet specifically stuff, yeah. of uh, of like I think it's called Bloodstone. I follow the artist uh, specifically because I love the art so much, uh, but also somebody that's uh, that that does uh, something called uh, Sweet Paprika. The art is unbelievable, but I love seeing this because in the same way that web comics opened up. Uh, a, a whole lot of voices that we hadn't heard in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, this same explosion is happening a little bit more slowly, but is definitely happening. And we're seeing a lot more uh, uh, ideas and people and, and characters that we haven't seen in this kind of not safe for work comics before. We're seeing a lot more different expressions, a little bit wider idea of what is considered attractive. And uh, I'm here for it. I think I think this is a great time to be doing not safe for work. 
Well, I think that was a great answer on your part for that one, Brad. And thank you for for sharing your own journey on that one. Yeah, I'm, finally I'm something jump... we could be upbeat about. Oh, I know exactly. Well, here's <laughs> another one to uh, to get upbeat about. It's uh, this comes in from uh, Call Me the Bomb, please. Uh, this oh. question comes in at Patreon.com/slash/ComicLab. Says, "Hey guys, when you first started out working part time in comics day job, how uh, comics slash your day job? How did you get into the comics groove when you got home?" You've suggested having a special space or a table just for comics. Yep, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. But what did you do when you sat down? How did you get out of day job work mode and into comic creation work mode? This is a great question, Brad. How yeah. how would you want to tackle this one? How did you get into the mood? How do you get in the mood when you have to sit down, Brad? Like, let's say you've even today, you've been doing bills or you just got the groceries into the house. <sighs> All right, time to do comics. Time to do comics. How do you get in the mood to do comics quickly right away in a set amount of time? That's a that's a really good question. Uh, I, I'm not sure I have a great answer for it uh, because okay. my own personal experience with this was very different than uh, Call Me the Bombs uh, experience was. In fact, in certain ways, uh, polar opposite. When I was doing a full-time job and my kids were smaller and my time was incredibly condensed, uh, what would happen was I would uh, I would work at the newspaper until you know midnight, one o'clock in the morning, get up and get my kids to school, and then drag myself to the studio. By the time I got to the studio, I wanted nothing more than to be doing comics because I'd been doing all that other stuff right, that right. that was good stuff to, to spending time with my kids. Loved it. Uh, you know, family time. I was there for it. Working at the newspaper. Ah, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I was good at it. And there was, yeah. uh, there was something about that kind of fulfillment. Uh, but by the time I got into that space to do comics, I lived, that's what I was working for. I was living for that moment when I would open up the door, right. walk into that room right. and sit. You couldn't keep me from it. You couldn't distract me from it. Uh, there was no getting into the mood. My, I, I was salivating by the time I pulled into the parking lot. I wanted mm-hmm. nothing more than to do comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how to give you advice on this. Uh, although I will say, uh, 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 now that my time management is is different and I'm not working a full time job, sometimes it is easy to get distracted by things like I've got to pay bills or I got to work on my taxes and I would rather do comics right now. Or, you know, I'm stuck on a creative problem and I, I want to be drawing, but I've got to be writing and the writing is not coming. Uh, but I don't know that I'm because, and, and by the way, let me just pause myself right there. Uh, that doesn't mean if your brain is set up differently that you're a bad person or that you're right, going to fail right, right, right. or that you're not a cartoonist. Yep. None of that is correct. It just means that my mind was wired a certain way. And other very successful creators uh, have minds that are wired a completely different way. How is how is your brain wired? Well, I, I the way I want to answer this one is to to structure your physical space and your mental space for success for the time when you're going to sit down and do comics. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? So we've already talked in the past, and I'll do a quick two-second version of it, yeah. is try to create one space in your house. And I had this even when I was in a one-bedroom apartment one little corner of one little room that was a desk that when I sat at that desk, that was when I was making comics. And I didn't do bills at that desk. 
And I didn't, I didn't, you know, whatever it is, chop onions at that desk. I didn't do anything yeah. else. I don't know why I'd be chopping <laughs> onions. But what I'm saying is that desk, the only reason that desk exists and that chair existed was to make comics. So when I sat yes. down there, it's it's equivalent to how they always say, don't bring electronics into bed because mm-hmm. then you're, then you're, you're fooling your mind. And I, I fail at that every night, but they, you're, you're, you're. <laughs> you bring you're, electronics into bread quite a bit. <laughs> damn you. Damn you. Um, so, uh, what I'm getting at here is I had I had a physical space, right? But then also create a mental space for yourself. And what I mean by that is um, I had a day job. Uh, the most recent one was at Mattel Toys. And when I would be working, if there was a boring meeting, they owned me for that time. I was yeah. there. I was at the meeting. I was taking notes. But I was also kind of jotting down ideas for that mm-hmm. night's comic on the side of the, my notepad, right? You know, mm-hmm. or I was at my lunch break. I was sketching out or, or uh, you know, breaking a story or or doing a thumbnail sketch of what that night's comic was going to be. I was prepping myself for success yeah. so yeah. that when I finally got home to that desk, like Brad said, I was living for that moment, prepping all day so that I could go do that comic when I got there at night. And, uh... And so the, another technique that I would sometimes use that I borrowed from fiction writers is whatever work was from the night before, you leave 5% of it unfinished. Oh, what a great idea. And so that when you get back home that night from work, you're tired, you get your kit, your shoes off, you put on shorts and a more comfortable t-shirt from work, and then you you're sit down at the desk, you're like, oh, the last corner of this panel is not finished. I'm going to just finish this up real quick. And then you're in a, already, bing, bang, boom, without any thought, Brad, you're already drawing, you're already creating, right? Yeah. And so you can do similar ideas with scripts. You can do similar ideas with uh, uh, thumbnails or storyboarding or uh, a 99% finished comic itself mm-hmm. um, is give yourself a tiny bit of work to start the next day. Uh, and this works best when you're working ahead, by the way, but give yourself a tiny bit of work to start the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mentally you're prepped to go so that when when you do get that time or when someone says, we got 20 minutes before we're leaving for the thing, uh, you can go cartoon if you want. You go, woohoo, and you run off to the room and you've got a little bit of work to work on. You don't have to start from blank sheet, right? Um, and so, but Brad, when you when you were at in, in that office, or, or sorry, when you were in that space where mentally you were at the paper all day long. Mm-hmm. Did you do like I did and you would be kind of jotting down ideas oh, for you and stuffing constantly. them in your pocket for later Const- in the day? If I and, and it was kind of an encouragement for me to be faster and better at my job because uh-huh. the faster I could get that workout and the and not only fast but high quality because uh-huh. the, the 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 mistake would be to do it slipshod and then have to deal with corrections that would come in in waves, right? Uh-huh. One editor after another, I need this corrected, I need that corrected. The the goal was to do my stuff so well and at so high a quality that I'd have time at the end of the night. And then that time belonged to me. Once my yeah. deadlines were met, once I, all my stuff was done, uh, and, and of course, any opportunity I had to do uh, you know, cartoon-style illustrations at the paper, I would take that as well, and it would kind of scratch that same itch. Yeah. Uh, but man, I, you know, if, I could, if I get my stuff done early, then the rest of that time belonged to me. And that was, that was a joy. And I I will say this too, and I know it's true with Brad too, mm-hmm. because we've talked about this, but uh in in my twenties, I was for whatever reason very good at being self-sacrificing because yeah. I wanted nothing more than to be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Come hell or high water, I was gonna be a cartoonist. And so friends would be like, and remember this is my twenties, so this was more possible. Yeah. Friends would be like on a Thursday night, hey, we're going out. You wanna come out? No, I got a cartoon. Or yeah. Hey, yeah. there's uh, there's there's an incredibly good new long form uh, video game that everyone's talking about. Nope, not getting it for myself. I want to be a cartoonist. Interested. 
I want to be a cartoonist more than I want to watch TV or play mm-hmm. a video game or go out or do this or that because uh, to, I I knew that it was that uh, that temporary sacrifice that would get me a longer term gain. Mm-hmm. And I failed in a lot of aspects of my life with that sort of stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, with cartooning, I it, it always won out over another right. pastime or over another thing that I could be doing. I was always like, nope, I'm going to be a cartoonist. That's what I want to be. Yeah. And so when I did get that time, I'd been, I, I'd been thinking about it all day and sacrificing for it all week to get to that. And so, by God, I was going to do it when, when the time came. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I, <laughs> at the risk of getting pessimistic again— uh, that's my problem with questions about motivation is I really don't know how to talk about motivation to another person. I don't know how to want something for you. Right. I right. can, I know how to want something for myself. I don't know how to make you want to do something. And the, and, and I'll be just brutally honest. That's because the answer is I can't. And if you don't want to do comics, when you sit down, I could give you all kinds of tips and tricks and tell you to tie a string around your finger and dance around a circle. Uh, nothing's going to work because you've got to want to do the comic in that moment. I can't tell you how to want something. And and by the way, it's okay if you don't want to do that. Yeah. Maybe you maybe you want to do something else, and that's good too. Doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you're on a journey. And it's it. That's the important thing about the journey is not to try to make yourself do something that you you really deep down down don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to you've got to decide that for yourself. And that's that's the real. That's when I get really edgy and a little bit nervous every time we talk about motivation because that really is at the bottom of it for me. I don't know how to make. I don't know how to want something for you. Yeah, it's hard because uh, we've had this conversation too, Brad. Where for artist friends, we can't want it for them more than they want it for themselves. Yeah. Like you ultimately have to make your own magic in this world. And if you're waiting on someone else to go, now you're an artist or now you can create, then then you're going to be waiting a long time because you've got to want it in a way that like, even if no income ever came in, even if no adulation ever came in, that it was now that's stupid because I always knew that the adulation or money would come if I kept at it or worked hard mm. enough. So I, I don't want to say that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I knew that I wanted to be a cartoonist more than anything else related to this, Brad. My yeah. wife often teaches a writer's course, um, writing courses, uh, either a TV writing course or a playwriting course mm. at the college level. Mm-hmm. And, and an interesting angle that she sometimes takes on it that I had not considered before, but it's in line with this that you in line with this thought that you can't want it for people more than they want it themselves. You know, yeah. she stands up in the front of a class of 20, 30, 40 people and goes, only one of you are going to make it in this class in the in the industry. Only one of you. <laughs> no, not and, you. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes on and she talks and talks and talks. And then she goes back and, and she says, now. Earlier in the class, when I said only one of you are going to make it, mm-hmm. in your heart, did you say that's going to be me, mm-hmm. or did you say like, well, I guess I'll never make it because only one person's going to make it? Mm-hmm. I know, uh, and the reason why that resonated with me is twenty-year-old Dave Kellett was like, no, I am going to work harder than anyone I know. I'm going to make yeah. it. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm going to use every ounce of of energy I have to become a cartoonist. And sometimes, and granted, that's not the case with everything in my life. Mm-hmm. So. I have to acknowledge that that might not be it for you. There might be a whole balance or a cornucopia of things that you want to do in your life. And this is just one part and parcel of it. But part of it is cultivating that energy of like, 
no, I only have one life and I'm going to, if I want to be a cartoonist, I've got to put in the time and I've got to do it. Yeah. Um, And I, 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 like I said, we can't want it for you and nor are we making, looking down on you if you're not feeling that right now. Um, But uh, try to cultivate a, a, a strategy of success so that your whole day is anticipating and ready to go so that when you do sit at that desk, it's not out of the blue and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, no, I've been thinking about this in the back of my mind all day. And I have scraps from last night that I can still oh. work on. And I have a whole idea book of things that I can immediately turn to because I've been saving these up on weekends yeah. and and on bus rides and on this and on that, that kind of thing, you know, Brad, yeah. no, basically I, I, setting yourself up for success so that you're not starting cold turkey. Yeah, that's that. I guess that's a great way of saying it is that when I would sit down, it would be like every other moment in my day has been leading up to this. Yes, yes, this, yes. This is the moment I've been working for. This is the reason I work nights at the newspaper. This is the reason I do this and I do that. Everything has been leading up to this. Exactly, exactly. And uh, also uh, create it so that it is a, a joyful moment to you. There would yeah. be a lot of times at work, I would come home tired and angry and grumpy just because working with dozens of other people, they can mm-hmm. be morons sometimes, but yeah. comics was my time where I got to do what I wanted to do in the way I wanted to do it. And the process itself was joy filled. And so I often found that that was, uh, that was my reward to me at the end of the day. It was the ice cream at the end of the meal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so once I got through the, all the day, to me, that was the joy-filled goal that I got to at the end of the day. It's it's like my reward is being able to podcast with you week after week and say things like this. You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my pal, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com, the host of Many Squirrels in His Backyard, <laughs> and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. No, I'm sorry, the creator of Evil Inc. I've got to change that. <laughs> yes, the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend, Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped, and cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com, and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that like the squirrels in Brad's backyard. Where's more wire? Bring me more wire. Patreon.com slash comic lab. Jelly, Jelly, the the man put out the wire again. Oh, Cashew. Oh, we're going to eat pretty this week. Oh, forget eating scraps. It's wire on the table tonight for the kids. What'd you call that other squirrel? Cashew? Gazootite. God bless America. Ah. I'm ending it there. I'm ending it there.